Worship is love. To put love of God and neighbor above all else. Our scripture focus is Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 through 39, known as the Great Commandment. He said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Holy wisdom, holy word. Jesus spoke these words in response to the Pharisees' question, Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? Jesus' answer comes from the Shema, which is the centerpiece of the prayer that all observant Jews are taught to pray at the beginning and the end of the day. It is these words from Deuteronomy that are written on tiny pieces of paper and rolled up and inserted in decorative scroll holders called mezuzahs and attached to the door frames of the primary entrances of Jewish homes. The mezuzah reminds them of this commandment whenever they come and go from their house. Scrolls with these words are also inserted into the phylacteries little leather boxes that Jewish men attach to their foreheads with a head strap to wear during morning prayer. These words are for critical importance to the Jewish faith. They were critically important to Jesus. Lee Fox is going to come and tell us her understanding of what it means worship is love. Good morning. morning. Love, like diamonds, has many facets. For instance, I loved my parents in a different way than I loved my sister and brother. Okay. Should I start over? All over. (laughs) Okay. Love, like diamonds, has many facets. For instance, I love my parents in a different way than I love my sister and brother. I love them in a different way than I love my grandmothers, and so on, down my family. When I met and fell in love with that guy, whose nickname was Foxy, (laughs) that love and his is far different from uh, my love for any of my other family, including our daughter, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren. When Farrell and I started out on our journey together, neither of us had any idea where that journey would take us. It has and and still is unpredictable. After Farrell decided that the computer field was for him in 1959 until 1976 when we moved here to Bellevue, we moved 16 times. When we arrived at our new location, found housing, we then began to look for a church, a 
With it, without exception, when we first attended, we were warmly welcomed. After attending two or three times, we were given information regarding various groups, such as the youth group or the women's society or whatever. And another few weeks after attending, they begin to say, well, we need a Sunday school teacher. Can you do that? Or we have a vacancy in the choir. Can you do that? Or whatever they had a vacancy for, they seemed to think we could do it. It was through this way that we really became a part of the church family and began to form friendships. It was through those friendships that the church helped us to celebrate the good times and they were there to to, uh, comfort us when we needed to be comforted. This is very true of you, our church family here at Oakland's Gate. We also established friendships with our neighbors. And it was through them that we, they helped us to locate the facilities that we needed, such as the, where there's the shopping center, where's the doctor, whatever. During the last few weeks, and that was neighbor loving neighbor, during the last few weeks, Pastor Brad has been emphasizing that we should get to know our neighbors, both at home, near the church, and inviting them to consider visiting our worship service. But I've since found out that our neighbors can also include those that we meet at the grocery store in the aisle when we're trying to get something off of the top shelf and they're willing to help us. They can be the people in the parking lot who are thinking we can't get all of our stuff in the car, so they help us put stuff in the car. And more recently, there was a young man walking down our street and Farrell was struggling trying to get our ceramic bird bath back so it wouldn't blow over in the storm and break and he noticed that and he came through the yard and helped us. We didn't know this guy, he does not, does not live in our neighborhood but he was our neighbor and he was showing us his love. Our neighbors and our neighbors also include those that we meet at various meetings and, and other activities during the day. Loving them also includes getting to know them well enough to help offer helping hands for our neighbors when it's appropriate to do so. And loving your neighbor is, can also mean being gracious enough to help their, or to accept their help, help when they offer it. Farrell and I recently celebrated 66 years of marriage. Our journey together has been interesting, to put it mildly. In all these places and all these occasions, God has been walking with us, and I, I firmly believe that. We wouldn't have made it this far if it hadn't been for that. And I want you to know God is here with us today, right here amongst all of us. So will you pray with me? Lord, thank you for the sweetness of your love and your desire to take care of your children. Thank you for showing us how to love one another in the same way. Amen. Worship calls us to justice, to live God's love through our actions. Our scripture focus for this is Micah chapter 6, verse 8, the great requirement. He has told you, 
O mortal, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? Holy wisdom, holy word. During the time of Micah, the people of Israel were doing a good job of worshiping God. In our context, they were the ones we might call active members. They showed up for worship service most of the time. They received Holy Communion at least once a month. They attended Sunday school. They gave regularly to support the church. Maybe they were even in a small group or a member of the United Methodist Women. They might even have volunteered in the nursery or taught the children or sung in the choir. They were not criminals, at least not the kind who get caught. They didn't drink or gamble or cheat on their spouses. They took care of their families and paid their bills. They were, by all accounts, good church members. But the Lord says, it isn't enough to be a good church member. If you show up for church every Sunday, but Monday through Friday you mistreat the people who work for you, then you are not doing what the Lord requires. If you refuse to speak out against injustice or fail to advocate for those whose voices are oppressed, or if you actively engage in practices that cause harm to a group of people, then your life is not pleasing to God. So it was to this kind of situation to which Micah spoke a bold and prophetic word. The Lord God requires more than empty rituals. God desires God's people not to just talk the talk, but to walk the walk every day in their own communities and as a witness to the wider world. To speak on this, I invite Melinda Lilly to come forward. Thank you. Here we go. Thanks. I hope I can live up to that. The call to justice conveys care for the vulnerable, reflects the character of God, means living in right relationships, and includes generosity. In my little corner of the world, I try to connect with people of all kinds, and I try to act with kindness and fairness to all. One of the groups that I've been involved with the last nine or ten years is my tennis community. I've been a team player, and I've been a team captain. I take my role as captain very seriously, but I also like to have fun, as most of you know. Two years ago, my faith, my community, the community service, project, and tennis friends all converged. On my 55th birthday, I invited my tennis friends, which Linda Reichenbach was one of them, to join me for a community service project at Vision House, which is a transitional housing for women and children, which my good friend Melissa Garrig, who's here, is the executive director of. And it's a program that Aldersgate has since supported since that two years ago. My tennis friends come from all walks of life. They're single moms. They are Mormon, lesbian, atheist, Asian, Caucasian, all economic backgrounds, young and old. 
we all came together to serve those in need. Later that fall, my team went on to win the 2014 National Championship at our level. I was, <laughs> not over the whole thing. <laughs> I was honored to lead a remarkable group of women with grace, patience, honesty, encouragement, and a lot of prayer. I believe in treating others with respect and refraining from judgment. You never really know how your actions impact others at the time, but I've been blessed with wonderful gratitude expressed by my friends. I believe that Jesus calls us to be inclusive and that our actions should be reflective of his love. I pray that I will continue to live my life with honesty, respect, generosity, and social concern. After my team won the championship, I shared that I had believed, that I do believe, in the power of prayer, and that I had prayed every day during our 10-month journey for us each to do our very best. You would have thought I was praying for us to win, but um, my prayer, what I thought was the, the most important at the end of the day, and part of our success was our positive attitude and our support and respect of each other, both on and off the courts, and, our, and us working together as a team. I strive to treat each of our teammates as the unique individuals that God had created them to be, and I tried to lead with compassion, equality, and non-judgmental behavior as Jesus has taught us by his actions. So the last two years, my tennis friends and I have returned to Vision House on my birthday to do a volunteer project. I feel it's our responsibility to not only perform the call to justice in special projects during the year, but to live it out in our daily actions. I enjoy the opportunity to network, and I'm always trying to find the connections between people that I encounter, as my husband could attest to. I try to model my behavior with acts of social justice, and I try to treat others with grace, kindness, compassion, and some humor in there. I love supporting my friend Melissa and the great work that she and Vision House do, and I love bringing others into the fold and giving them an opportunity to serve. My prayer is that I continue to be an example of God's spirit of service to others. May I keep learning to serve with faith and be an inspiration to those that I come in contact with. Please let my actions speak louder than my words. Amen. Worship calls us to evangelism, to go and take God's love into the world. Our scripture focus is from Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 through 20, the Great Commission. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Holy wisdom, holy word. How is it that we mere mortals are able to go out into God's world and make disciples by baptizing people 
and to Christ's holy church? What guides us as we go and take God's love into the world? The answer to this question is that we don't do these things by our own power. It is only by the power of God working through the Holy Spirit that we are enabled to respond to Jesus' commission on our lives. It is through the power of the Spirit that Jesus stays with us to help us, giving us the right words and teaching us the right way to bring his good news to the people we meet. And here to share on worship, calling us to evangelism, is Jason Meener. Good morning. morning. My name is Jason Meener. I was baptized in the sanctuary at Second Service on September 25th, 2016 by Pastor Brad with assistance from Jolie. My parents, James and Aaron Meener, and my grandparents, Everett and Gloria Martin, were with me. The Bible of my great-grandfather, Ernest Martin, was opened on the altar as a tribute to my heritage. Pastor Brad used water gathered from around the world along with an anointing oil to baptize me as I bowed my head over the baptismal bowl. He introduced me to the congregation in an unexpected way by walking with me into the congregation where I was warmly greeted. I was given gifts, a baptismal candle, a wooden cross from the Holy Land, a keychain with thoughtful scripture on it, a wonderful quilt made by the Aldersgate Mary Quilters, inscribed with my name and the date on it, and a certificate of baptism. All of these symbolic elements are very meaningful to me. At the end of the ceremony, Pastor Brad gave me these words, Go and be the light of Christ wherever you go. It seems the Holy Spirit was at work in my heart in a special way, as Pastor Brad said this. The reason I think so is because in school the very next day, a class position appeared to be a taking care person or empathy person in one of my classes. I was specifically determined to volunteer for this position. I said yes, and I feel good about that. Then the opportunity came to speak here, and I wanted to say yes. A treasured verse in the Bible that my grandmother's grandmother believed in was Romans 8.28, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. Jesus had much to teach us, which is why he became our Savior. It is all about loving kindness. Love God, love yourself, love your neighbor, and love your enemies. It is in our everyday attitude and actions that we give meaning to his ideas and ideals. I do not know where my decision for baptism will lead, but I intend to be available for the surprises of what comes. My life unfolds. My intention is to go and be the light of Christ wherever I go, and I encourage you to do do the same. Worship is discipline. To embody God's love individually. Our scripture focus is again from Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. The Great Commitment. Then Jesus told his disciples... If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Holy wisdom, holy word. Let us recall the situation that led up to Jesus speaking these words to his disciples. 
Jesus had been healing people and teaching great crowds as he made his way toward Jerusalem for the last time. According to Matthew's gospel, Jesus had just multiplied seven loaves of bread and a few fish to feed 4,000 people. The Pharisees and the Sadducees heard the news of his latest miracle and began demanding that Jesus show them a sign from heaven, which he refused to do. When Jesus asks, asked the disciples who people were saying he was, Peter declared that he was the Messiah, the Son of the living God. After this, Jesus began telling the disciples what fate awaited him in Jerusalem. When they protested, Jesus spoke harsh words then and said that if they wanted to be his followers, they would need to take up their own cross. He said that those who wanted to save their lives would lose their lives. But those who lose their lives for his sake would find their lives. The way to discipleship is not free. It costs us to follow Jesus. We who call ourselves followers must give up some of what the world teaches us to have in order to find a richer, more meaningful life in Christ. And to witness to this is Jolie. Jesus said, if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Well, that's pretty straightforward, right? After all, we're here in the sanctuary today, so who among us does not want to be a follower of Christ? But what does it mean to deny myself and take up my cross? Now, since my dad uh, passed away at 89, that's uh, 90 in the Chinese culture, because you're born a year old in our culture, I've often thought about his walk with Christ. Did he deny himself? Did he take up his cross? Did he follow Jesus? Dad was a Mormon. Many in Hawaii are. He married a Catholic woman. In multicultural Hawaii, many do uh, marry interreligious. They chose to raise their children as Catholic Christians. Uh, many of us make choices for our children, don't we? When I think of my dad, this is who I see. It's the smile. Oh, sorry. He was a great model of discipline. He was a Navy boxer. He worked the swing shift. That's what, 2 o'clock in the afternoon till about midnight. Uh, while mom worked the graveyard shift, like from midnight to 7 or 8 o'clock the next morning, so that someone was always home with the kids. He was a hard worker, 41 years, a welder at the Pearl Harbor Navy shipyard uh, who quietly cleaned the house and often cooked dinner while mom rested up from working till 8 o'clock in the morning. She was a waitress at the uh, Spence Cliff Kelly's restaurant on Nimitz Highway in Hawaii, for all of you who've been there. 
He was the model of kindness, worked hard, but uh, always saved Sundays after church for a day at the beach with the kids. He frequently took us out on Monday evenings for dinners at the Flamingo or the Boulevard Simon House. Always a treat for us kids growing up. He was the model of gentleness. Never a cross word. Well, except that one time when I was 14 or 15, when I disrespected mom, and he heard me. I think that was the last time I ever disrespected mom, <laughs> in, in dad's presence at least. Or ever. <laughs> he was the model of love. Quick to give aloha. Through his hula dancing, with his ballroom dancing partners, with friends and with neighbors. And he was the kind and generous spirit that we all wish to be. Always giving his time, talent, and treasure to neighbors and his church. I think of him as the smiling papa. Dad's own walk with Christ was pretty unique. He walked the walk. Didn't say a whole lot. But when something was broken, he was the servant fixer. You could see his handiwork as a welder. Welded in stainless steel, fixing things at church and school, at our neighbor's houses, fixing their fences and gates. At the Kinoshitas, at the Duartes, at the Kims, and other neighbors in our neighborhood. At St. John Baptist Church, at St. Elizabeth's Church in Aiea. He raised his kids to respect others, be responsible, and to love others. He loved everyone he met, family, friends, people that he passed on the street. He greeted everyone with a smile and aloha, pehe oe, hey, como mai? How are you? Come, be welcome. I think he finally felt worthy to announce he was a follower of Christ when he was baptized into the Catholic Church at the age of 83. He waited a lifetime. And from that day until the day he died at the age of 90, he talked the talk, introducing others to the, in, the formal church, uh, in the formal teaching of the, teachings of the Catholic Church. You know, I think my dad did it right. He walked the walk all of his life. That's what I remember of him. And he talked the talk when his talk was rich and mature with a lifetime of experience. When I think about my dad, this is who I see. That's my favorite picture of Jesus. They call him the laughing Jesus, but I call him the smiling Jesus, just like my dad. And what did Jesus say in that passage from Matthew? If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. He said, deny myself, be a servant, serve someone else. He said, take up my cross, get up and do something hard, the hardest thing you may do in your life. And he said, follow me. You know, I sometimes wonder whether dad would, have, uh, would be in Jesus' presence if he had not been baptized at the age of 83. I don't know, but I, I, I don't know. Well, yeah, heck I know. <laughs> of course he would. Whether he was baptized or not, he lived his life in Christ. He did, every step of it. 
As your lay leader and a disciple of Jesus, know that I understand that I must walk the walk, deny myself, get up and do the hard things that have to be done in this congregation, and to follow Jesus. My vision includes an elder's gate that is covered in prayer. To develop elder's gate as a destination for our multicultural neighbors. Amen.